Welcome to School of PE Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Miller, and I'm so glad that you could join me this week. We are going to discuss topics about FE, PE, and SE, and we're also going to answer questions that will help students prepare for their exams. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the School of PE's podcast. I have Erin Kelly back with us today, so uh, let's go ahead and welcome her back. And Erin, if you could, well, first, thanks for joining me again. And uh, if you could kind of just reintroduce yourself to the audience here. Yeah, so I am a um, civil structural engineer. I'm a licensed civil engineer in the state of California. Uh, my focus is structural engineering and seismic engineering. So I do um, some forensic engineering, I do some seismic risk assessments, and a little design work in there. Sounds good. It sounds all very interesting. Forensics just kind of caught my ear there, so I'm sure we'll get into that here throughout the uh, podcast. So you're based in San Diego, correct? Yeah, exactly. All right. Chargers are a little having a little rough uh, <laughs> go here, and then they're, your um, Padres had an early exit to the uh, yeah, major league season. That's so yeah. yes. Uh, have you been to any of the game? Did you get to any Charger games yet or not yet? I know they're yeah, out in LA, so but they're up in LA, but we might go actually in like two weeks. I'm from Pittsburgh. They're playing the Steelers the Sunday before Thanksgiving. So Ooh. yeah, if we can get some, some seats then for a good price, we'll have to LA <laughs> for the night. The uh, Steelers just beat the uh, Cleveland Browns the other day. Ugly know, game, but somebody, game. somebody had to win. So yeah, uh, but good. That'd be kind of exciting if you can go up to there. I hear it's a beautiful uh, stadium that the Chargers yeah, play. Yeah, so. so yeah. Well, yeah. good. You could you can crush the stadium by having the Steelers beat them right before Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. I went to a Steelers Chargers game in Pittsburgh actually in like 2018, and it was a really good game. So well, the Steelers lost terribly. They were up <laughs> by like 20, and then they blew it. So holy cow! But, yeah, for, yeah. It was right. it was fun to be there though. So yeah, it's always good. Steelers Chargers games are typically pretty interesting. Well, good. I, I had forgotten you're from the Midwest, but um, you're a transplant into San Diego. Not a bad place to end up, definitely. So yeah. so today I think we're going to talk about the um, different paths to take in civil and, and more specifically the structural engineering industry. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the I guess you know, all engineers have their own, I don't know, quirks or nuances. So what are some of the common traits of structural engineers? Uh, I think structural engineers just have an, well, from my experience, have an interest in obviously like building structures. So those can be anything from bridges to cranes. I think the most kind of intricate part of any of those structures is the connections and understanding the materials and the material behavior. So I think no matter kind of what angle you come at it from, you're always problem solving to make sure the forces are being transferred through those connections and into each of the appropriate structural members. Sounds good. So I know there's many paths to take um, in engineering, whether it's structural engineering, mechanical engineering, whatever it might be, there's many different paths that you can go down. And oftentimes, sometimes maybe people pick the path based on you know, maybe their parents were transportation engineers, so they decide to go that way, or, or maybe they've worked in a particular field for a while and they decide to go down that path. But let's look at education and um, how important do you think education plays a role in deciding, you know, which path that you should go down? I think a huge role. And I think there's a lot of different factors to that. Um, so I went to Johns Hopkins University for my undergrad and I I loved it. I had a really good experience, but there's a few things there that kind of shaped how my career went. Um, so first is my advisor. Uh, my advisor was 
Dr. Schaefer, and he was just great. I had no idea what I wanted to do. My dad is a lawyer. My sister was getting an MBA. I was like, <laughs> do I, should I just do that? Like, should I just forget this whole engineering thing? And he was the one who first suggested forensics engineering to me, um, which is kind of, um, I guess forensics, we typically associate with um, litigation support. Mm -hmm. So you support lawyers by kind of explaining what happened and ultimately being like down the road when you're licensed, um, you could be an expert witness in like a law case. And that really appealed to me because I liked like the structure of law that I saw my dad doing. Um, but I, yeah, I just, I never wanted to be a design engineer and I thought that was the only focus. So that from the bat is how an education plays a role. Um, then there's also the curriculum at each different school. So I never had a class in transportation engineering at Johns Hopkins. I also never had a class in um, seismic engineering at Johns Hopkins. So I had a lot of other classes that were really great. Um, my senior design professors actually were on the forensic side as well. So that was more kind of exposure to that side. Uh, so I think, yeah, education and where you go to school in particular has a big emphasis on kind of what you're exposed to. That makes sense. I appreciate you sharing some of that background. You know, it, it's funny, you know, when you were talking forensics, it makes me think NCIS, you know? Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, everyone does. Yeah, you know, and then it didn't click because, you know, when I, I sp I've talked to you before and you've mentioned, you know, forensics engineering, it just didn't click. But, you know, I think we have four other of our instructors that are also forensic engineers. So, no it's, yeah. So, I mean, every time I talk to them, they're doing, they're either traveling somewhere different in the country, doing something, but yeah. most of it, as you had mentioned, a lot of them, you know, are, are testifying as expert witnesses. Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of, that sounds kind of cool actually. So yeah. now that we kind of get an idea of the, I guess the different paths that you can uh, take yourself down for structural engineering, you know, when you look at, I think sometimes when people are looking into maybe a career field that they've already kind of have an idea they want to get into, but they also want to look into it and see how competitive it is. So mm -hmm. how competitive would you say, you know, the, the structural engineering field is and maybe in relation to some of these other uh, engineering disciplines? Um, I think it's, it's a pretty small field, to be honest. Um, and I think it's a field that's always looking for good talent. Um, so I don't think it's hyper competitive. Um, yeah, I think I found even moving to a smaller district like San Diego, as opposed to New York City, um, I've been able to find a lot of opportunities here, especially since COVID. Um, mm -hmm. Before COVID, everyone wanted someone in LA. And now they're all like, oh, you can work remotely from San Diego. So there's oh, a wow. lot more flexibility. That's one thing that I've always actually really liked about structural engineering is that you can go anywhere. Um, definitely in the US, and I have practiced abroad as well. Um, and there are so many opportunities if you, um, yeah, I've just found that there's a lot of different opportunities and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. It's always nice to know, right? If you're thinking of going into a particular field that one, a competitive means it's, it's a good market to get into, but there's also a lot of different ways that you can go. Um, so, you know, kind of get a little sidetracked here. You kind of mentioned remote, how difficult has it been, or maybe it's been easy to do what you do remotely, you know, compared to what you had to used to do when you would go visit, maybe had to do it um, in person. Yeah, so I used to, um, I actually started working remotely six months before the pandemic, which was great because I had my whole office set up um, when things went south. So <laughs> I, I really like working remotely. I do think for younger engineers, it's invaluable to be in the office, at least mm -hmm. part time. Um, 
there's just a lot that you get from being able to watch somebody's desk and ask them a question and feel comfortable doing that. I think that's the tough part about working remotely and starting somewhere new remote is that just getting a comfort level. Uh, I think in engineering, you need to have all the information. You need to make sure your all your assumptions are sound. And I think it's a little dangerous to do that in a vacuum. Um, so I think it's really good to yeah bounce ideas off each other. So if you can do that remotely, if you're comfortable picking up the phone and calling someone, um, then you can certainly do it remotely. But if you would do better being able to ask people questions in person, then I think that's the value. That's some great insight. So thank you for that. So going, let's kind of go back to this forensics. I'm kind of stuck on that. Um, yeah. So you say that, you know, you have the opportunity maybe to be an expert, testify as an expert witness. Mm -hmm. Have you had to do any of that or seen any of it be via, done via remote? You know, once, you know, especially during the heights of COVID, you know, if some of these cases were, were, actually, were going on, have you had any experience with any of this remote in that aspect? Um, I haven't. I know my dad has. My dad does virtual court at home. <laughs> he's in the state of Pennsylvania, but yeah, he's, right. he, I think he's gone to trial remotely in the last year. So Holy cow. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. It shows that you can do yeah. just about everything remote. Yeah. Um, yeah. Heck, I've even seen some of these cooking shows uh, on Food Network <laughs> uh, do remote as well. So, so um, I know you had mentioned, you know, design earlier and that wasn't the path that you wanted to, you know, go mm -hmm. down and that's how you end up where you're at. Um, can you talk maybe a little bit more of what design engineering entails as a whole? Yeah, so design engineering, um, I think it's typically associated with new construction. So ground up, um, you can definitely do like retrofit and rehabilitation of existing structures as well. Um, but design engineering, yeah, you basically somebody at your firm, uh, one of the higher ups will kind of bring the project in. Typically, they'll go through the beginning, the schematic design, um, which is where they look at where the architect's vision is and the architects typically have some degree of planning and then the engineer typically a principal will uh, kind of decide what structural system is best so maybe we should um, do steel moment frames because there's big open areas maybe we just should do concrete shear walls because we have this core in the middle and then we have more flexibility so they'll kind of think through what the best engineering approach to the building is and then they'll get like a project manager and a younger engineer involved to kind of work through the details. So it's everything in the building in terms of the structure. So all the beams, the columns, the floor slabs, um, and then particularly all the detailing. And detailing is um, typically the connection design, but then also um, any rebar that's going in concrete, that's kind of what we refer to as detailing as well. So it can Oh, we might have lost you there. You froze. Oh, there you are. There you are. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I did design engineering for like a year and a half to two years, and I was lucky I had shorter projects, so <laughs> I actually saw them all the way through. Oh, wow. And I have a good friend who has been doing design engineering for like, I guess we're at like eight years now, and she's had oh, one wow. building built. And the building was like wow. 30 stories, and she Holy worked on cow. it for five years. Um, I had a couple... They had a couple tilt-up concrete buildings. They were pretty interesting as far as tilt-up goes, but I had two of those like from early design to fully constructed in the two years that I did it. So that was wow. pretty awesome to see them yeah, go up. 
Wow. Well, that just goes to show you that, you know, although, you know, projects are temporary, it doesn't mean they all have to be short in duration. So that's kind of yeah. cool to see. But it, it sounds like design engineering has a lot of moving parts. Uh, yeah, you know, a lot of coordination. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Definitely sounds interesting, though. So I know, you know, we kind of been talking about the forensics and, you know, the you had mentioned that a lot of it applies to maybe where you go and testify for um, as an expert witness in a law case. But are there other, I guess, areas that use forensics engineering? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the the other really big one is um, insurance. So that's the other one that I worked heavily in. We called it um, at my first firm, we called it uh, property loss consulting. So that's, yeah, you're trying to help an insurer determine how much of the structure has been damaged and needs to be repaired, replaced, um, et cetera. So those projects, at least at the firm I was working on, were huge. Like I worked on... Um, the World Trade Center site after Hurricane Sandy because oh, wow. a lot of salt water got in there. And so we needed to determine how much of the structure was damaged beyond repair, how much could be cleaned and how it could be cleaned and how much that would cost. Um, so there's a lot of um, that goes into there. I'm not a cost expert. I can just comment on the structural part. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I was doing in New Zealand. I was in New Zealand for about a year um, oh, doing wow. earthquake recovery work. So all those damaged buildings, we have to go in um, and look at all the structure, evaluate kind of what the damage is. Is it from the earthquake or is it pre-existing? Is it kind of like um, like a maintenance and use mm -hmm. damage or is it um, the structure um, behaving after an earthquake? So yeah, you kind of look at the structure, evaluate it and determine if it needs to be replaced or repaired. That's pretty cool. So yeah. we've seen the, from the insurance side, what about like, let's say I come to you and say, Aaron, you know, I'm looking to buy this. 25 story building would yeah. I, I benefit from you know having you come in there and and take a look at the the structure of the building and if yeah. so how yeah so there's kind of two sides to that one is um i think every structure that's bought or sold needs to have due diligence performed um, in accordance with the lender's policy so they can have different degrees of due diligence um but typically there's a pca which is a physical condition assessment um, an ESA, which is an environmental site assessment, and then an SRA, if it's, which is a seismic risk assessment, if it's in um, seismic country and it has certain risk factors. Um, so those are the three primary reports. Um, the PCA is the most comprehensive, and it'll look at all types of damage from like leaks to cracks in the walls, um, older appliances that may need to be replaced, all kinds of stuff. Um, some buildings, if it is like a 25 story, um, tower, they typically do want a structural engineer on site to perform a structural assessment. Um, so I've done a few of those. I think I did like a 50 story tower in Chicago last year. Holy cow. Um, yeah. It's typically like, typically it's the parking garage that they really need oh, to sure. look at. Um, and then, yeah. And then the seismic risk assessment is really evaluating, like the um, configuration of the of the building and how it would likely perform in an earthquake. So yeah, there's a ton of different stuff to look at. Yeah, so, I mean, it makes it sound like it's different every day. Um, it is, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of cool, you know. It makes the day go by, um, but also you learn things as you go. So let's. I don't know if this is up your alley, but let's let's give it a shot. So now I've already purchased that 25 story building. That's yeah. done. So now I'm in downtown San Diego. I'm looking at Petco Park. 
Okay. And I'm going to buy Petco Park. So, and I call you in, what kind of um, assessments would you do on like a baseball um, park? Um, well, yeah, you definitely want a structural condition on that. Um, I know the person who designed that, so I think it's in tip top shape, but <laughs> um, you would definitely want to start at the roof. I think that would be, I mean, there's not a lot of weather here in San Diego. We are getting more rain than normal. Oh, good. You guys need it. The roof, those trusses are, they're like, there's a lot of cantilever trusses. So you really just want to look at any exposed structural element, anything that could be exposed to weather in particular, because that's going to see the most corrosion. Um, yeah, you want to check the slabs for any cracks because um, they are, they have really, really large spans. So if they aren't properly detailed, which is what we were saying before, that's kind of where the reinforcing is placed and how much and where. Um, if that's not properly done, you can get some cracks in the top of the slab. Um, yeah, kind of around the, the columns, because I think they're concrete slabs. So around the columns, you can have shear failure. So you want to check around there. No cracks around columns in this lab. Um, so yeah, that would be where I would start. Yeah, a thorough slab crack map and a roof. I'll look at all those members. That sounds good. So you were saying, you know, you want to take uh, check for erosion, right? Due to the weather. Mm -hmm. um, so Petco being in San Diego, you have, you know, the beaches, you have some mm -hmm. salt water out there. So would you be doing maybe a different assessment there than you would say if you were in, you know, downtown Phoenix looking at the Diamondback Stadium? Um, potentially, I guess you're kind of looking for the for the same things, but you're more likely to see the corrosion here. Um, I think the Corrosion in and of itself isn't that terrible if you, well, depending on the degree. So <laughs> if it's pretty minor, you can scrape it off and repaint it. And that's kind of what you would expect as typical maintenance on that building that maybe annually or every few years, they're going to scrape off corrosion and repaint it, just recode it. Um, but if it's starting to reduce the section, mm -hmm. uh, um, so like the steel is thinner than it was originally, then that's where you're going to have a problem. And you can measure that. That's actually pretty cool. You can, it's like when someone's pregnant, you can like literally rub a gel on it and do an ultrasound and like determine the thickness of the piece if you needed to. It's pretty crazy. Holy cow. But yeah, there's a lot of testing you can do. But yeah, so you can see if like the section has reduced, you can run a calc to see if it'll still meet the capacity um, or the demands that you've assumed that it needs to meet um, and kind of go from there. Wow, hey, thanks for that. So I know we got us way off topic going and talking about <laughs> baseball, Steve, but now you got me off topic even further because now I'm thinking of, okay, if you can kind of take this ultrasound type tool, yeah. <laughs> now I'm intrigued. So let's say I'm inviting you out to the park again to do an assessment. Mm -hmm. What are you bringing in your tool belt? What kind of gadgets are you bringing along for your assessment? Um, I mean, on the most basic level, you would bring a tape measure and then um, a crack gauge. So my it's very very low tech it's just like it's like a thin credit or like a clear credit card that uh -huh. has these lines that of various thicknesses so you can put it up to a crack and see if it matches the thickness and then you can kind of know because there's smaller cracks can be repaired with epoxy larger cracks you're gonna have to actually do more to repair them um some of them can just be like painted over based on how thick they are so that's helpful for interpreting cost and like ramifications. So that's kind of, kind of, yeah, basic. I would have my, my tape measure, 
and my crack gauge and my camera. Um, sometimes a level is helpful um, to know if things are slanted. Um, and then a laser can be helpful for measuring distances. And then oh, if we okay. need more, then we can get a lot more supplies. You can bring in the heavy artillery. Yeah. So <laughs> definitely no inspector gadget type toys, which is kind of no, cool. Yeah, you, got the, you got the basics, <laughs> right? A level uh, measuring tape. They've been around forever. So that's kind of cool. They're the classics. Yeah. So all right, I'll try to get us back on track. Okay. Um, I know I've taken you down a different path. So, no but let worries. me ask you this. What is in-house engineering support and what does it entail? Oh, yeah. So back to the, buying the 25-story tower. Um, based, so a lender is going to hire somebody, like a consultant, to do that assessment. But sometimes they also want to have somebody in-site, um, in-house, to, like, first of all, manage that consultant, choose who they're going to hire, um, to do the assessment, somebody that they trust, think will do a good job. And then um, the other part is kind of just to like, not fact check, but just do a quick sanity check. Do we think <laughs> that what they're saying is right? Or even before we hire someone, say they get drawings in for a building and they're like, gut check, do you think this is the right, uh, this is a good building to buy? Do you think the structure looks good? Um, stuff like that. So yeah, so there's a lot of, so lenders are like banks, um, I guess like real estate developers, they still need a lender, but they also are evaluating it from their perspective. Anyone who's really, yeah, doing an investment on a building wants to have somebody in house too, so that they know somebody's on their side in this and they can <laughs> kind of make sure the consultants are telling them the right stuff. Well, that makes sense. That's helpful too. So uh, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. So thanks for sharing that. So let me ask you a question, Nick. I mean, there could be many, many different answers for this. So it'd be interesting yeah. to see what you pull out of your hat. So there's always, I guess there's always more than one way to do something. At least yeah. we tend to think there is. So, you know, but always, you know, you hear about, okay, if you want to become an engineer, you go down this road. So yeah. let me ask you, is there more than one way to become an engineer? Oh yeah, there's so many. Um, and I think that's really important for students to know when I, um, I mentor some students at UCSD and that's always, they don't know if they want to be a design engineer. So maybe they should just like throw it all away and do something else. And I remember being there as a 20 year old and not knowing what I wanted to do. Um, and then actually this past year, since with COVID, we can do everything virtually. I gave a presentation to my undergrad. And they all were like fascinated about how I got into forensics. And I, when I got to grad school and I already had my heart set on forensics and nobody else in my class knew what it was. So I think it's oh, really wow. valuable for students to know that, um, well, it is really good. Even if you want to do forensics, it's really good to put in a couple years in design at some point. Um, it's, there's a lot of things you can do in your career. And it's really, there's a lot of ways to figure that out too. Like there's a lot of engineers out there who are willing to talk to you. Um, every city has a structural engineering association chapter, yeah. pretty much I found. Um, they're all over the country and they're typically really active. They have a lot of presentations going on. Um, obviously something like this podcast is a great way to learn, <laughs> but there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of resources and it really just depends like, what your skill sets are, what your strengths are and stuff like that. It makes a lot of sense. And, and, and that's one, I mean, there's so many 
wonderful things about engineering as a whole, right? There's so many different, as I mentioned, there's so many different paths you can go down. Every day can be a different day for you. But also knowing that there's more than one path to get there is, is reassuring for those that maybe don't, you know, aren't sure right away and they, and they can find a different path to it. So that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you hear a lot about, you know, people being becoming, I guess, maybe a principal, uh, maybe principal engineer. Does is that what everyone is uh, striving to obtain? Is it something you want, have to do? Can you expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, if you just think about it, proportionality. Not everyone is going to be a principal. Um, there aren't enough spots at the top, but I don't think everyone also needs to or wants to. Um, I think that can be a pressure a lot of times that people feel especially in design engineering, um, when they see principals and they see associates and they think, I don't know if I even want to do that or if I can do that. And you don't, you don't have to, um, there's a lot of other paths to take that don't require, yeah, becoming the best design engineering expert in San Diego or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, that's definitely not, not for everyone. And there's a lot of, different paths you can take, even if you want to stay in design. There's, I'm definitely, there's nothing wrong with staying in design. <laughs> you can become a, more of a mentor. You can become um, really good at training other people. You can deal with clients more. You can work on bringing in work. You can, there's like a lot of different paths you can go down as opposed to like a purely technical path. Sounds good. So it seems like based on what you were saying is that there's a, basically a shoe that'll fit anybody in engineering right there's something yeah. you want to do something you can do it so uh, that's pretty neat and you know that's what makes it such a uh, special field is like you said there's a zillion different things that you can do mm -hmm. um you know i know we talked some technical stuff we had a little bit of fun and um you know you humored me with my baseball stadium so i appreciate <laughs> that um but also you know in engineering, especially maybe in what you do as far as forensic or even risk assessment, things like that, mm -hmm. staying on top of things and staying in the know is important, right? Making yeah. sure you're up to date. So besides listening to all these podcasts, I'm sure, mm -hmm. um, what ways do you stay on top of it in, or like up to date with not just technology, but maybe what is relevant or what are some of the hot trends in, in your field? Uh, well, my favorite way is definitely... Um, the Structural Engineering Association of San Diego. It's really active. Um, and I'm a member of, I think, two committees now. So one of them is SE3, uh, which is semi-new. I think people in Northern California came up with this idea in like 2015 or 2016, and it made its way to San Diego in 2018. So I've been on the committee since it started. So it stands for Structural engineering engagement and equity. So it's basically trying to promote um, a better industry for the people in it, because there are some, definitely some issues with structural engineering and there's a lot of burnout. Retention is a really big issue in engineering, which is why I try so much to be like, there's another way. You don't have to leave the industry if you want to leave your job. Um, but yeah, so retention is a really big issue. And so SE3 is trying to identify like where is the burnout coming from and how do we promote better work-life balance? How do we get principals to buy into this? And so stuff like that. So I'm really interested in that because I love engineering as a field so much and I want people to find a way to enjoy it as well. Um, I've definitely had my struggles, but where I am now, I'm really happy. Um, and then the other one that I love is the existing buildings committee. Um, which for me, I just love existing buildings and the risk and the seismic component of all of that. 
Um, and so on our monthly calls, I get to mostly I just listen, honestly, but I get to listen to the experts in San Diego talk about the new laws that they're working on and how they're going to take that to the state government and um, yeah, everything that they're working on. So that's kind of my top way is just being involved in those committees. And then the organization as a whole has um, like monthly meetings mm -hmm. with webinars and speakers and everything. So that's kind of my yeah main way. Appreciate it. Very insightful. So a lot of, I mean, I guess basically there's a lot of resources out there to keep mm -hmm. you in the know, but also to kind of show you that, hey, as you mentioned, you don't have to leave the field because you're not happy where you're at. You can look for other things to do in the same industry. So that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one thing I, I, I mean, there's many things I enjoy talking to you about, Aaron, but one thing is mm -hmm. I can tell you, you got a lot of passion, uh, yeah. you know, it comes across in the teaching that you do, the, I've read the blogs that you've written, but just mm -hmm. chatting here with you about what you do on a daily basis and, and the road it, that you took to get here, it's, you can just see it in the eyes, a lot of passion there. So that's, that's pretty cool. So now that we've kind of talked about, I guess, some of the things that you can do on a bigger scale, before we run out of time today, I want to kind of take it to a smaller scale that maybe everyone might be able to not understand, but maybe they've been through it themselves. So okay. there comes a time when most people want to buy a house and they may come across an issue or two that they might reach out to a structural engineer. What kind of a, what are some of those issues that a homeowner might be coming out and say, hey, Aaron, I know you're a structural engineer. I need your help. So what would I be coming to you from that point of view? Yeah, um, I think typically there's kind of two main things that homeowners find. One is um, settlement damage. Um, so you'll notice that around windows and doors. So diagonal cracks at the top of windows and doors. Um, say so the, the main thing that I tell, like my friends and family have definitely asked me the same question, but, <laughs> um, you want to look for a pattern because as we were saying earlier on the due diligence side, um, some of these things can be maintenance. They can just be use. Maybe you've, um, I don't know, whatever the door frame has like has some moisture in it. So it's shrinking and, and expanding and that's causing the cracks. But if you see it consistently on all three floors of your house or, all, all the doors on your back wall or something, then that's cause for concern. Um, so anytime you can identify a pattern, um, those diagonal cracks are kind of the biggest thing to look for on the inside. Um, and then on the outside and in the basement, any type of foundation crack, um, you don't necessarily need to be concerned about. I think people can get very alarmed. Most of these things I mean, outside of the tragedy in Florida, buildings typically do not fall down um, and people get really worried, but it's probably going to be okay. But anyway, foundation cracks and retaining wall cracks are probably the second most common thing that a structural engineer will want to look at. There's some good advice to homeowners or future homeowners. So thank you, Aaron, for that. So Aaron, I appreciate you coming out again, spending some time with me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I would yeah, love to have you back you. again for another episode. In the meantime, though, I ask you for one favor. Okay. <laughs> you got to have an In-N-Out burger. Oh, I do. I love those. <laughs> All right. So as long as you have one for me before the next time we get together, that'd be great. I will do um, that. <laughs> before we go for the day, is there any last words of wisdom that you want to share with the audience? No, I think we've covered so much. I just, yeah, I think engineering is such a great field. There's so much you can do in it. And it's really fun once you kind of find your niche. So, yeah, I hope everyone listening can find their niche and enjoy it, too. 
I appreciate it, Aaron, and to everyone listening, uh, we'll see you next week. Have a great day and enjoy the rest of the day.